we, we had a great, great day yesterday, and uh, God truly blessed um, everything. If, if, man, if all we did was yesterday, it'd be really worth it uh, for me, and, and I praise the Lord for what God's doing in, in Troy's life. So um, you get your pens, your Bibles, outlines, all that good stuff together, and get ready. Uh, Brother Troy, you come on. You get ready, and, uh, and how, about, how about let's pray for him real quick, all right? Uh, Lord, uh, thank you again for giving us what you have. Uh, Lord, Lord, thank you for the, the preacher that you sent our way and, and God that you gave that you gave a word to. And uh, Lord, we just we thank you, Lord, for just being good enough to us to that you would just speak to us, that you would speak to our church because you care about it and because you want to see it grow and because you want to see us grow up in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, God, I, I pray that you bless tonight. I pray, God, that you use Troy. I pray, God, that you uh, take this time and make it meaningful for him. Uh, Lord, while Lord, he's uh, not around his family, he's not around his normal environment. And, uh, God, that, that's all a cost and a price that he's willing to pay to be here to invest in our church. And, and I pray that we take that serious. I pray, God, that we take it serious, that there is somebody willing to do that and so god i i pray to bless tonight i pray god that you use it or convict our hearts and uh and bring us to a place of sincere repentance tonight in jesus name amen amen well thanks for coming back out tonight i'm glad to see everybody here i i think um you know i, I think everybody's probably you know pretty full after brother daniel threw down with the brisket i mean that was Listen, so I haven't really had a chance to eat too much of it because I want to eat before I preach. But I, I took a bite, and that, that was, that's, that, listen, that's Kansas City approved right there, brother. <laughs> Kansas City approved. I'm looking forward to, to chowing down after, after this. So. Uh, but I do think the Lord has something for us tonight. I, I really do. I'm excited about uh, where we're going to be in God's Word, and I, and, I, and I hope you think the same thing. I hope you came expecting to hear from the Lord tonight. Uh, I hope that's been your prayer. Uh, as you've, you know, as you've uh, made the way, you've taken the time uh, on a Monday night to come back out, and so I hope that that's uh, been your prayer, and I hope that that's your expectation, because, uh, because it's certainly mine. Um, and so if you have your Bible with you this evening, I invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. So we're obviously talking about stewardship, and we took yesterday, and we talked about the stewardship of our finances yesterday morning, and what biblical giving is all about, and and how it's so much more than even our money. God wants our life. And, and, and by the way, God deserves our life. Um, and, and if you don't believe that, you need to get to that spot tonight. Uh, and then we talked about last night the stewardship of our family. And not, not selling our family out to this world. And, and, and being committed to, to raising our family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The way God designed for a family. And then tonight, uh, we're going to look at the stewardship of our faith. We're going to look at the stewardship of our faith, and we're going to look at a story in Numbers chapter 13, which was a test for the nation of Israel and the stewardship of their faith. And, and this, this chapter, at least in my opinion, is the turning point in the history of the nation of Israel uh, on a negative side. We're going to see them fail in their stewardship tonight, and, and, and so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at at faith to failure 
so we're going to look at tonight an example of what not to do, and what we can learn from the nation of Israel, right? All of that we know from 2 Corinthians 10, Romans 15, all of that was written, or 1 Corinthians 10, I'm sorry, all that was written for our learning. And, and so we're to learn from, from what Israel went through. And, and now as, as, you know, spiritual sons of God, you know, we run the risk of doing the exact same things they did. And that's what, that's what we're going to look at tonight. But then we're going to come back tomorrow night and we're going to finish this stewardship conference out by looking about stewarding our faith to finish, to be able to finish the course that God has set us on. And so um, I hope you, you'll come back out uh, for that tonight. But what we're going to see tonight you know, it's, it's kind of where the proverbial rubber meets the road with respect to the faith of the nation of Israel. And, and on that road, what we're going to see is they get fooled because the reason why they get fooled is they end up following what they see. They follow what they see instead of what they know to be true from what God had told them. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, so many times we read stories like we're going to read tonight, like Numbers 13, and we just think, man, you know, what a bunch of losers. Like, you know, how, how, how dumb. How, how could they not see what God had for them? How could they make those decisions they made? But I think, you know, too many times that we are just like them. Yeah. And we can see them and the wrong decisions they make, but when we're making the exact same ones, we don't see it quite the same. So let me try to illustrate that for you. How many of you have been, have been to a haunted house before? Been in here, been to a haunted house. Yeah, most of you, I mean, I know it's like, you know, devilish activity. So, it's all right. I used, it's been a long time, so I don't go anymore. I used to, used to go. But um, I was young and immature. I've, you know, I've grown up since then. So, so much different. But listen, think about this for a second. When it comes to a haunted house, how, how, how do they get you? I don't even know how much one costs anymore, but it's a ridiculous amount of money. How are they successful? What is it that they prey on in a visitor? They prey on the simple fact that when you are in that house, you're going to let your feelings rule, right? You walk in knowing full well that none of it's real, that it's all a show. And yet, when you're in the midst of it, it doesn't feel like a show. It doesn't feel fake. And because of what you see, you let your feelings rule. You become scared, even though you know there's no reason to be scared. No one's going to do anything to you. You're going to leave that house just fine. But in the moment, your feelings take precedent over the actual facts of the situation. You see, we're just like them. And it's one thing for that to happen to us as we're walking through a haunted house. It's a silly example. But the problem is that just like the children of Israel, we tend to do the same thing when we're walking through life. And what we end up doing with respect to how we steward our life, and instead of stewarding it, stewarding it through the lens of faith, we steward it through the lens of sight. And that's what the children of Israel did, and that's what we're going to see this morning. And so I've, I've titled this message, The Walk of Sight, because that's the path they chose to walk. They chose to walk a path based on what they could see, not based on what they know to be true. But we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that Paul tells us we're not to do that. For we're, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, we're to, we're to steward our life from a position of faith. 
not from a position of sight and what we see and what we feel based upon what we see. We get a little bit more explanation of what that actually means in 2 Corinthians 4.18. that says, while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, it says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. You hear that? Hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You see, and we steward our life according to it because we're living it based on something more. We're living our life through the lens of faith because it, and it looks beyond this life. It looks beyond the temporal and it sees the eternal. It looks beyond these few years that we have in this life and it looks to the judgment seat of Christ and what's beyond that. You see, God's goal for our Christian life is that we walk by faith, not by what we see in this physical temporal life. Because if we learn anything from Israel, here's, 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 what, you, what, you, here's what you need to get tonight. If you learn anything from Israel, the, you learn that walking by sight leads to a life of wandering. And ultimately a life that is not satisfied, results in murmuring and complaining, and doesn't receive the inheritance that God has for you. That's Numbers 13. And it's no coincidence that 13 is the number of rebellion in the Bible. That's why I believe, part, one of the many reasons why I believe this is the turning point in, in that nation's history. It's where they finally decided to walk away from the Lord and not steward their life the way that God had designed them to and the way that he had asked them to. It's where they ultimately rebelled against him. Now, there was plenty of rebellion in Israel's history before this event and certainly much more after it. But this was the decision. This was the one. This is where they stared at God and said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's where they said no. And, and I know what the Bible says, but I can't be a biblical giver. I know what the Bible says, but I'm not going to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I know what the Bible says, but I'm not going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm just not willing to do it. And I just want you to know that's a very dangerous place to be. And that's where we're going to find Israel at tonight. And the results speak for themselves. So you just need to believe it. And it'll lead to a failed stewardship of life because you don't view it through faith. And listen to me, a failed stewardship of our faith in this life will lead to us being ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. And there's no way to sugarcoat that. So tonight we need to learn how to avoid that outcome. And, and the enemy is tricky. He, he doesn't want us to walk by faith. He wants us to walk by sight. So he's out to deceive and we're all susceptible to it. And we start down this path of failed stewardship before we even know it. Because there's a progression that we're going to see tonight that led the children of Israel to completely move away from the plan that God had for them and the inheritance that, that he had for them as well. So let's look at it together. We're going to start in verse 1. Of Numbers chapter 13. And we're going we're to skip a large section in the middle. But just follow along with me. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, and they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. Shall ye send a man 
everyone a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. So he's, this is the command that, to go spy the land, right? They've been wandering through the wilderness. They're, they're, you know, miraculously taken out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And they're on their way to the promised land, the land that, that God had for them. And they get near the land, and he says, okay, send out spies, one from every tribe. And then in verses 4 through 16, Moses just gives us the names of the tribes and names of the 12 spies. And then in verse 17 through 24, he, he describes the path that they're going to take. And it starts in the southern part of Canaan, or, or the path that they did take. It starts in the southern part of Canaan, moves up to the north, and then back down to the south again. But now jump down to verse 25. And this is after they, they spied it out, and, and we're going to get their report and see the result. Numbers 13, verse 25, it says, They returned from searching of the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the children of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. They brought back examples. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they have searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. It's a tragic, tragic story. But it's one that we can lead as well if we're not careful. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to, to convict us tonight of what we need to be convicted of and, and get us to look internally and be honest to examine ourselves and, so that we don't fall for the same, this same trick of the devil. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the examples that we have of the nation of Israel. And, and you've told us multiple places in your word that they are for us so that we can see what we can do, what we shouldn't do, what we should do. So Lord, I pray that you teach us tonight. I pray that we hear from you. And I pray that everything that says true to your word, I pray that you're glorified and honored in the time that we have together as we lift up our, our, our voice and song to you. And now as we settle our heart, to hear from you, but Lord, not only to hear, but to respond to what we hear. And so, Lord, I pray that that's what happens tonight. And we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a fairly well-known story in the Bible. If you've been around church much, you've probably heard this at some level. It's a good Sunday school standard. And so we have the 12 spies sent on a mission to, to check out the promised land. And 10 come back with what the Bible calls an evil report. And the other two, Caleb and Joshua, come back and say, listen, let's go. We can do it. Let's go take the land. So you got two sides, and unfortunately, the nation of Israel goes with the majority report, not understanding that God was actually on their side, that, that they were the majority even before this thing started. And in their failed stewardship, there are some steps that they take along the way, and they're steps down. And, and, and their sight led them 
to take these steps down to this sort of disastrous ending. And, and, and these steps down are ones that we have to be careful of because we are susceptible to all of them as well. And the first step down that we see with the children of Israel is that they doubted God's promise. They doubted God's promise. You see, God had delivered his people from Egypt that they might enter the promised land and receive his blessing. And, you know, and I know that, that this, is, this next sentence is going to be a big revelation to you, but it was, it was called the promised land because it was land that God promised to them. I, you know, I bring the deep stuff with me. But, but many of you know about this. Like, this is something that, that Mark Trotter probably even preached about in this church, very brilliantly, by the way. But the promise of that land for Israel goes all the way back to Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And then again in Genesis 15, 18, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. It's, it's, he's given it to them. Not even will give it. He had already done it. Genesis 17, 8, And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He gave the same promise to Isaac in Genesis 26, 3, and then to Jacob in Genesis 28, 13, and again in Genesis 35, 12. Then he reaffirmed the promise with Moses. Exodus 3, 8 says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then he confirms it again in Exodus 3.17, in Exodus 6.4, in Exodus 6.8, in Exodus 13.5, in Exodus 33.3, and then in Deuteronomy 6.23, he says, And he brought us up out from thence, that he might bring us in, give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. Amen. And listen to me. Those are just a few of the references. There are others, and the point that I'm making with this is that this was a land that God had promised was theirs, and he had communicated that promise to them over and over and over and over again to every generation. This was no surprise. There was no mystery left to solve. It was undoubtedly theirs they just had to go in and possess it. They just had to go in and possess it as their own. And listen, they knew it. There was no question about this. And at this point in their journey, they've made it through the wilderness of Paran. It's up near Kadesh Barnea. It's just the south of the southern border of Canaan. And this, this wasn't where they were to enter. They were always going to cross the Jordan from the east to enter the land. But they've made it close enough. That they say, okay, it's time to go check it out. And so the people talk to Moses, and, and they say, hey, we got to send in some spies to, to check out where we're going. They knew where they were headed. <laughs> they knew that there was a destination. And they said, they need, let's, let's get the lay of the land. The Bible puts it this way in Deuteronomy 1, verses 22 and 23. When Moses was recounting all that happened in the wilderness, Moses said, and ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us. And they shall search us out of the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and to what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe. And he goes from there. So the people had the idea 
we know that the Lord had the idea. We just read that in Numbers 13.1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land which I give unto the children. So now, not only was it the children of Israel's idea, it was a command from the Lord. And there was a reason that the Lord wanted to see the land and all that it contained, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the scary. And while not explicitly stated, we can, we can know why God wanted them to see it here. It's because he wanted to test them. And he knew that there was questions. And he wanted to test their faith and the stewardship of their faith. He wanted them to see exactly what they were up against. And I say that because when talking about the spies in Numbers 13.25, the Bible says, and they returned from searching the land after how many days? Forty. Forty days. And so we can know that this was a test and, and it, and from the Lord because of how long it took. They spent 40 days in that land. And if you know anything about biblical numerology, you know that the number 40 represents testing. It represents an opportunity. Listen to me. Here's the thing about testing. And here's the thing about the tests that even we face in this life. These are opportunities we have to trust the Lord or not. That's what God wanted to know. So listen, this land has been promised to you for generations. And I've reminded you over and over, every generation has known. And when I pulled you out of Egypt, you knew exactly where we were headed. Now, are you going to trust me? Can you trust me to go in and possess it? And that's what he was testing them about. And because of their failure here in Numbers 13, the children of Israel ended up spending how many years in the wilderness? Forty. And with respect to the number 40 representing testing, you just see it throughout Scripture. Saul was given 40 years to prove himself as king. Through Jonah, Nineveh was given 40 days to repent. At the onset of Jesus' public ministry, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the, in the wilderness was tempted by the, as he was tempted by the devil. And that, the list just goes on and on and on. When you see the number 40 in the Bible, you know it's connected to testing and an opportunity to trust the Lord. And so this spy mission was a test. God was testing or trying their stewardship of their faith. Where were they at? And listen, he does the same thing with us as well. James 1, verses 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about patience tomorrow night in, in some detail and the importance of patience. But when it, it, it is key to understanding how to walk by faith instead of by sight. When we walk by sight, we're walking out of lust. I'm going to show you two different paths tomorrow night. So if there's nothing else, it's worth coming back for, for, for that because it's, it's the key to everything we do in our walk of faith in life. And there are times in our life where God wants to see what we're made of. And are we going to trust him or are we going to trust ourselves? Are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? Are we going to possess the promise of God or are we going to throw that away and keep wandering and just getting by? Just living the life for the temporal instead of the eternal. And the problem with those 10 Israeli spies is that they brought back doubt with their report. And so they doubted the promise that they have from God. Now, it starts out okay, but it doesn't take long for it to go south. Look back at verse 26. 
And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, so we get to hear from the majority first. And the one thing you have to know before we get their report is that the majority is rarely trusting of the Lord, especially in today's day and age. The majority in Laodicea is rarely trusting of the Lord. They're nearly always average and mediocre and lukewarm. The majority are typically going to produce average thoughts when they're brought together. That's why we can't be average. And for average thinking people, the threat always outweighs the possibilities. So then look at verse 27. So they said, okay, they showed him the fruit. It's a land that floweth with milk and honey. They couldn't even deny it. And they told him, we came unto the land where thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. They recognize the opportunity that's in front of them. They agreed that it was, it was exactly as God had already told them. And they even brought back the evidence to prove it. And, and we didn't read this, but in verse 23, it talks about how big the grapes were and the pomegranates and the figs. And again, this is the lukewarm majority group of spies. But at least they got something right to start. They saw the opportunity. Which leads me to ask you, when it comes to your walk with Christ and the stewardship of your faith, the stewardship of your life through faith, at, at least can you see the opportunity? Do you see yourself being able to get involved in ministry? Do you see yourself functioning for the Lord in a fruitful way? Do you see opportunities in this church to be a servant and to be a giver? Do you see a way to be used by God in maybe a greater way than you are currently to accomplish the mission he has for you? Do you at least see the opportunity that's there? What do you see when you look out and look upon your life? So, so I'll give this majority group a little bit of credit because at least they could see the, the opportunity with their physical eyes. But when we read the next two verses, we recognize that while their acknowledgement of the opportunity was great, they still doubted God's promise. And, and I want you to listen to this next sentence very carefully. Because they didn't doubt the promise of the land. We've already established that they knew it was theirs. What they doubted was the promise that God could take them in. They doubted that God could take them in. You've probably heard Mark talk about that before as well, but listen to what they said. Numbers 13, verse 28. Nevertheless, the opportunity is great. The land's great. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. Listen, guys, they're everywhere. Now, they're in the south. They're in the mountains. They're in the east. They're everywhere. We can't get past them. These enemies are too great. Have you seen these guys? They're too strong for us. And so when life brought about some uncertainty... They succumbed to the uncertainty, to doubting, instead of thinking back to God's promise. Listen, how, how many people does that describe in, in our Laodicean, lukewarm Christianity today? And it gets back to exactly what I was talking about last night. 
A problem really you know, usually isn't understanding what God has said to us and what God has promised in his word. That's usually not our problem. We know it. For the most part, we understand biblically what's ahead of us. We just don't know if we can get there. We don't know if it's worth it. We're not sure that walking in the Spirit will take us where we really want to go because most of the time where we want to go is temporal instead of eternal. You see, it's supposed to be a walk of faith. But we want to walk by what we see. And the obstacles are big. And the obstacles are different today, but they're just as big. You see, instead of fighting the children of Anak, we fight the children of Funak, like Netflix and sports and anything that entertains us. And instead of, instead of fighting all the ites, the Canaanites and the parasites and the, you know, I'm, that was a joke. And the, you know, the Hittites and all that, apparently not a very good one. <laughs> but but uh, instead of fighting the ites, we fight the isms, like naturalism and individualism and materialism and comfortism and lazyism, whatever I want to do-ism. That's what we fight today. And those are some big obstacles. And they lead us to doubt if stewarding our faith to God's glory is really worth it. Because comfort and fun are just that. And leading a life that glorifies God and is a, a life of faith isn't always comfortable. And it isn't always fun. But it is worth it. What are you after? What are you after in this life? And listen, this is true of, of, of people that maybe even seem like they're serving the Lord. There are many Christians out there who have convinced themselves that what they're doing is enough. But they're still trying to serve God and mammon. But they think, hey, at least God made the list. I'm giving him some of my time. I'm giving him a little bit of money. It's better than some people. Amen. And maybe it is, but is that your standard? Some people in this day and age? It's still selfishness. You can't work for the Lord and get to set the hours and the parameters. You can't, if you're a soldier of the Lord, you don't get to determine the mission. You're to follow. And when it gets hard, you can't decide to just walk away because it's not worth it. There's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for us in this life, and even if like them, you, like the Israelites, you have to face some big enemies, even if it means you have to face suffering, keep going, don't quit, there is so much more than just this life, so why do you want to spend your life investing everything you have in these 40 or 60 or 80, maybe even 100 years, when there's an eternity after that, the Bible talks about it, do you believe it? And in light of eternity, this life is a moment. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. Do you understand what a moment is? It's here now and it's gone just like that. James calls our entire life a vapor. In James 4.14. Listen, there's a promise of what's waiting for us. If we serve him with this moment, 
with this vapor of a life, and if we steward it correctly, and we can trust that those struggles will be worth it. Romans 8.18, he tells us that. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And the Bible says that, and we read it, and we look at it on the screen, and we see those words. Like, look at them. Look at that verse. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And yet we still don't change. We can stare at those words and live the same life and still live in sin and still not give the Lord our all. Tell me how we're different from Israel. And listen, those spies knew it too. They knew the land was theirs. They just weren't sure it was worth the trouble of getting in. And so they doubted God could take them in. And in doing so, they took the next step down. After they doubted God's promise, number two, they discouraged God's people. And that's what always happens. If we let the majority lead, it's going to lead to the discouragement of God's people. You see, those spies were supposed to be an encouragement to the people, to bring back a report that instilled in them confidence, but they did just the opposite. They brought discouragement. And, and what is discouragement? It's, it's, you know, we think of it in, like with emotions and feelings, but I mean, just, just think of the word. Discouragement means to remove courage from someone. If you discourage, you remove courage. And that's what the spies did. In their own fear, they removed the courage of an entire nation with their doubting. Moses recounted it this way in Deuteronomy 1, verses 27 and 28. And he murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he had brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. They discouraged their heart. You see, the people were discouraged because of the majority report. And you see this type of thing all the time in Christian circles. Listen, people that doubt the Lord and his way, and they doubt his promises, and they, they end up being discouragers, and there's just drama that follow them, and, 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 and the land and churches, and there's just, just discouragement, and there's just drama around. They don't want to be alone in that. They want to take others down with them. So if that's you, you want to take others with you. You want to be a discouragement. I put that on your outline sheet. If that's you, you take others. You want to take others with you. And it's a little different context, but the Apostle Paul puts a very interesting word in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 in describing leaders specifically that have this type of doubting faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, that these are leaders that are walking by sight and not by faith, have made shipwreck. And shipwreck is a very interesting word. And Paul said there's some that weren't holding on to faith. They're walking by sight. And they're wrecking their ship. And these are, again, in the context of leaders. And so the ship went down, but listen... Everybody that's on the boat with them goes down too. So you got to be careful whose ship you get on. 
And listen, these spies made shipwreck and took a whole nation down with them. And back in Numbers 13, you can see some very subtle language they used that contributed to discouraging the people. Verse 27, they said, They came unto the land, whither thou sentest us. Not that thou promised us. <laughs> he said, this is, we're, you, you, we're going up against the people, and, and, and the land, it's verse, it's verse 27, I'm sorry, it's not up there, but he said, the, we came to the land, whither thou sentest us. In verse 30, 32, they said, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. They never said it's a land which God promised us, the land God provided for us. And they didn't say it because they weren't walking yeah. by faith. They were walking by sight. And all they could see, because they were walking by sight, all they could see was trouble. So they discouraged themselves. They discouraged the people. They talked everyone out of following the Lord. And listen, that's exactly why some of us will never realize our divine potential or live out our divine purpose. Because the threat seems larger than the opportunity. And our courage has been removed. And maybe it's a fear of failure. But, I mean, listen, if that's the case, you have a misunderstanding of what failure is because failure is not when you try and don't succeed. Failure is when you don't try. Failure is permitting your faith to be limited by your fear. Failure is seeing the mission and not having the wherewithal to go after it. So let me ask you, what is it that's keeping you from living according to God's promises in his word? Why won't you get started? Why won't you serve your Savior? Why won't you change? Why won't you decide? Why won't you answer the call? Why won't you begin a journey of really living? Do you lack the courage to consecrate? If so, that is mediocre, lukewarm, scared, and doubting mentality. And a lot of us like to think we're tough. If that describes you, you're too scared to do it. You're too scared to what it means. And it's leading to a failed stewardship. And you'll never reach spiritual maturity, what Canaan pictures for us. You'll never receive all that God has for you. We know where this story ends with Israel. Why do you think it'll end somewhere else with you? Look at verse 31 again. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So we don't have the strength. We are too weak. And that's what the enemy always tells you, isn't it? And you tell yourself you just can't overcome that obstacle you face because you're too weak. You just don't have it in you. And that sin you can't overcome is just too big for you. That is just a lie. It's a cop-out. Don't believe it. You see, here's the problem with mediocre, lukewarm, scared, doubting thinking. The problem with mediocre thinking people is that they always assess their possibilities only in the context of their insecurities. And when that's us, we end up giving ourselves all the excuses of why we can't. And when we do that, we're only thinking inside the box of our insecurities. And you feel like if you don't really want to, you don't really want to take on that challenge of, of living a faithful life and walking by faith instead of by sight. 
and you allow yourself to become discouraged by others or by what you see. And so you just end up thinking, I can't pray. I can't praise. I can't speak in public. I can't tithe. I can't let go of this bad habit. I can't cut loose of this immoral, destructive, dysfunctional relationship. I can't get discipled. I can't disciple someone else. I can't get involved with this church. I can't discipline myself. I can't get over the pain of my past. I can't give up my bitterness. I can't get over this grief. I can't read my Bible every day. I can't make it to church every Sunday. I can't make it to church on Wednesday night. I can't do what's expected of me. I can't love my spouse. I can't love my children. I can't get along with my coworkers. I can't handle these hurts and struggles. And it all, if, if that's all you say and that's your perspective, then listen, you can't and you won't. In many ways, we have become a group of people that cry the blues and we complain about what we cannot do and what we do not have. And, and we do that because we've not l- learned to use God's promises and the promises of this book to propel us forward in our faith. Look at verse 32 to see it, how they move backward to discouragement instead of forward in faith, how they are walking by sight and not by faith. Verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land. We say a search unto the children of Israel, saying, The land of which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that saw it are men of great stature. You say they move from talking about, at least initially the opportunity, is a land that flows with milk and honey, in verse 27, to giving an evil report of the land. And now it's a land that eats up people and spits them out. And they move backwards into discouragement instead of forward into faith. And this is the next step down. And listen, I'm, I'm not even saying that there wasn't something to, on a physical level to be discouraged about. We haven't talked about it yet, but the sons of Anak were there, the giants. You see at verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we, were we in their sight. And the giants were big and bad. And they couldn't miss them with what was the last word of verse 33? With their sight. So they allowed their sight to supersede their faith. So it was still just an excuse. Because even when discouragement is real, there are are real things, real struggles and hard things in life to overcome. That's still not an excuse. It's still not a reason to quit. It's still not a reason to doubt God. And that brings us to our last point. Because after the people were discouraged, they took the last step down. And they disobeyed God's plan. They disobeyed God's plan. Look back at verse 30. Because while everything we've talked about so far was the majority report, it wasn't the only report. Caleb and, and Joshua was with him. You don't really learn that until chapter 14. But, but Caleb wanted to walk by faith and be a good steward. Look at verses 30 and 31. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. You see, Caleb spoke for the Lord, but the others wouldn't listen. And the others didn't say, listen, I'm not so sure about this. It could be a bad idea. No, what they said was we be not able to go up against this people. There wasn't even room for discussion. What they said was no. No, we can't do it. That was the choice they made, and the choice was disobedience to God's plan. And ultimately, disobedience to God's word. He had promised to take him there. 
And really, it was, you know, at least in one way, it's because of those doggone giants. <laughs> I mean, all those ites were scary, but verse 33 was the kicker. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come up with the giants, and we were in our own sight as the grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. And so we looked at ourselves compared to them, and we were like grasshoppers. That's how small we looked. They could step on us and squash us. And when they looked at us, they saw us in the same way. And listen, that's the real issue. You see, not only did they see the giants, but the giants saw them. And they couldn't get over that. And listen, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't like it either if, if a giant was coming after me. But the thing the nation of Israel forgot is while there were giants in the land, they had the Lord on their side. And while they were like grasshoppers to the giants, the giants were like grasshoppers to the Lord. That's what our Bible is so beautiful. So it's comparing Scripture with Scripture. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 21 and 22. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood the, from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, speaking of God, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretched forth out the heavens as a curtain and spread them out as a tent to dwell in. All the inhabitants of the earth, all of them, even the giants are just like grasshoppers to God. You see, if they had just walked by faith and not by sight, instead of seeing the giants, they would have seen the one who is over the giants. And faith would have pointed them above and not below. And so instead of saying like they did in verse 30, 31, we be not able, they would have said like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when facing King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3.17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able. He's able to deliver us. You see, what those spies said was actually right. They weren't able. But what those three Jewish boys said was right too. God is. And that's because one was walking by sight, the other was walking by faith. And here's the thing about that. Walking by sight is the easy decision in the short run. Because it's based on what feels right in the moment. But like we talked about earlier in the introductions, feelings are just that. They're feelings. And they don't have to be based on fact. So when those feelings of discouragement pops up, the Bible gives you the answer of how to manage those. And we get the answer from David in Psalm 42. Psalm 42, David was in his feelings. But look at how he dealt with it. Psalm 42, verse 5, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou on God, for I shall yet praise him for in his countenance. So David's in a time of discouragement, not knowing if he can walk by faith. And you might not notice this at first, but I want you to pay close attention to what's going on here. Because David addresses himself. He asks himself a question. And he's not crazy, but he is talking to himself. And in doing so, he, he discovers the cure. He asks the question, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are, are you disquieted? Why art thou disquieted me? Why am I so discouraged? Why do I feel like I can't do it? Why do I feel like I, I, can't, I can't walk by faith? And this gets to the main problem in the matter of listening to our feelings and being fooled by what is true and what is untrue and walking by sight instead of faith. And that is, we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Think about that for a second. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of just talking to ourselves. And so we listen to our feelings instead of talking to our feelings. 
in effect, David says, self, listen up to what I have to say. Why are you so cast down? Why are you acting this way? Well, because it feels true. Okay, but is it God's voice you're listening to? Or is it your own feelings? And if it's your own feelings, do they line up with God's word? And if they don't, then trust God's word. Remind yourself of God's truth, whether you feel it or not. And this is where Israel failed. They allowed their feelings to talk to them instead of talking to their feelings. And at the end of the day, they took a biblical principle and applied it incorrectly. Because, again, they knew the promise. They knew the land was theirs. So what they did was they counted the cost, and they determined it was too much to pay. And counting the cost is a biblical principle. We, know, we can see it in Luke 14 other places. The principle is biblical. Their application wasn't. Because we're to count the cost so that we know what lays in store so that we can be prepared. We're not to count the cost with the option of opting out. But that's what they did. And is that what you've done? When it comes to the walk of stewardship of our faith, have you counted the cost and looked at all the giants and looked at all the things you'll have to give up and looked at the friends that you'll have to quit hanging out with and the embarrassment that comes from being a fanatical follower of Christ and say, you know what? I don't think I can do that. It's not worth it. I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. You know, the, the wilderness isn't that bad. It's close enough. We're, we're on the edge of the promised land. We've made it far enough. It's not. It's not far enough. Don't be like the majority. Be like Caleb. Be like Joshua. He, he's the one that made sense. Look one more time at verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And so let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. He stilled the people. It means he silenced them and he calmed them. He got their focus off their feelings for a second and looked at the facts of the situation, but it wasn't, good. It wasn't enough. They still wouldn't listen. They couldn't get past what they saw with their eyes. Caleb heard the other spies. He didn't even disagree. He just couldn't settle for that answer. And he didn't allow the challenges they faced and everything they felt to bring about an accepted defeat before they considered faith. Because feelings say, I can't do it. But faith says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And feelings say the challenge is impossible. But faith says, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And feelings say, I'm weak, but faith said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And feelings say, you should be scared of the giants, but faith says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Feelings say you ought to give up. But faith says you ought to keep going. So if your feelings say one thing and your faith says something else, listen to your faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. The opportunity we have to do something really cool for the Lord in this 11th hour, in these very last days, is too great. And it's right in front of us. Why do you want to stop now? See, there's something interesting about opportunities. Opportunities come and go. But when they leave, they take something with them. Because when one leaves, it's gone. And it took with it the chance to be forward in your faith. It took with it the possibility of a life-changing opportunity for you or someone else. 
You know, earlier I talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they said God was able. And they, they walked by faith. But I want you to think about that scenario. Those three Jewish boys being thrown into the fiery furnace. I want you to think for a second if, if they had walked by sight. What if they had counted the cost and said, you know what? I can't, we can't bow down. This ain't worth it. If that would have happened, you think God would have forgiven them? Sure. God would have forgiven them. Life would have got on. But that opportunity would have taken something with it. Because Daniel 3, verses 24 and 25 says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was a stony. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselor, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's what it would have took with it. A night with Jesus in the fire. And how many times do we miss spending the night in the fire with Jesus all because we decided it cost too much. And we settle for mediocrity. You know, we talk all the time about, you know, God's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 50th chances, and, and that's all true. Praise the Lord. But listen to me very carefully. There's always a last chance. And you don't know if this is it. You don't know what, well, you don't know what your drive home holds. Tonight might be your last chance to get things right with him. Don't let it pass. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for lukewarm, scared thinking and living anymore. Do what you've got to do tonight to get your life right in a position to walk by faith and not, not by sight. Quit doubting God's promises. Quit discouraging God's people. Quit disobeying God's plan and ignoring his word. And listen, I'm done. But as we close, listen, I do not mind confessing to you right now. I do not want to be a mediocre, lukewarm, scared person doing a mediocre, lukewarm, scared job with a mediocre, lukewarm, scared family with mediocre, lukewarm, scared ambitions. And I sure don't want to be a mediocre pastor as a, has a mediocre church full of mediocre people because we serve an exceptional God. There's nothing mediocre about him. So why is there with us? I heard a story uh, years ago, somewhere early 1900s, there was a, um, there's a preacher that went to the same exact store every single week, and he set up in the back of his old pickup truck, let the tailgate down, and he preached every single week. And I was right on, right on a corner at a four-way stop sign and there was there was multiple people that came through and and listened uh but there was there was always one guy that showed up always this one guy he said for like months this one guy showed up and he never he never left till the preaching was over next sunday same guy would come back out and he'd sit there and he'd listen the whole time and he was an older gentleman. And uh, the guy preaching was a younger dude. And um, finally, after a few Sundays, 
a young preacher boy went down to the older guy and he said, sir, I, I got to ask you a question. And um, he said, uh, he said, well, what do, you, what do you keep coming here for? And he said, well, my wife and my kids years ago, they begged me every week to go to church. And I, I just wouldn't do it. And it, it happened for years. He said, finally, I started going. He said, I sat through church service after church service after church service and he said I was so mad and I was so angry because I knew I, I, I needed to make a move towards God but I never would do it and he said it, he said it was as plain as the nose on his face he said one Sunday he said he felt he said he felt in his heart God doing something different and he said it was like it was like a light had been turned off in my soul after that church service was over. He said, you know, I never felt after that Sunday, I never felt about this, I never felt the same way about coming to the Lord ever again. He said, my wife and kids, they, they all died in a car wreck about three years later. And he said, every night I go home and I see pictures on the wall he said, my wife's old Bible lays in the call on the coffee table where it lay the day that she got done reading it. And he said, son, I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to keep coming. And I'm going to keep praying that the light comes back on. He said, I don't know why. But he said, I'm hoping God will use you to let me hear him again. And let me come have a desire to come back to him. And that young preacher boy had tears running down his eyes. And he said, sir, I, I know Jesus wants you to come now. He said, son, you, you can't say no. But just so many years. He said, I don't know why God ain't killed me yet. Now look, you say, I... I don't believe that man was right. You know, I don't believe he's right either. I believe that if he wanted to come to the Lord, he could have. But I don't know what happened in that pew that day. I don't know how many times he said no. Here's what I here's another thing I know. The door of the ark closed one day. And it didn't matter how much it rained, it didn't matter how much it beat on the door, it didn't matter how many how many clawed, it didn't matter how many fingernails raked down the side of that ark. There's going to come a day for every single person in here that if you keep saying no, if you keep saying no, if you keep saying no, man, it just seems like you desensitize a little bit every time you say no. And every time you say no, it gets a little bit easier to say no. And then the next time it gets a little bit easier. And the Bible says that, that our conscience gets seared as with a hot iron and the prick that used to be real small before now it's got to be like a like a surgeon coming in with a knife just to cut down to where you actually understand hey God, God's dealing with me 
Now, a lot of us don't ever make it that long, right? We all head back to the same house we came from. And one of these days, we'll fade back into a house somewhere. We'll fade back into the world somewhere. And we'll just be done with this thing because it didn't deliver what it promised. That's what the promised land did for most of them. It didn't deliver what they thought the promise was actually going to be. They all thought that God was just going to give it over to them. They wouldn't have to fight. They wouldn't have to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. They wouldn't have to endure. They wouldn't have to suffer. They wouldn't have to fight for their families. They wouldn't have to fight for their churches. They wouldn't have to fight for their Bibles. And so here we are in a lukewarm generation that is weak, need, and anemic. because we won't fight man I I don't know about you but I say there's some things that I heard tonight that's worth fighting for the promised land the life the spirit filled life that